Well, Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10 through the end of the chapter, is Solomon's, you might consider it Solomon's Mother's Day message. And Solomon, as he's writing through Proverbs here, we're going to do uh, this, the, uh, the last uh, three quarters of the chapter, and then we're going to pop over to the beginning of chapter 31. So we're going to uh, work through this chapter fairly quickly. But, uh, so it says here in the NIV, the wife of noble character. And that, that idea of, of, of nobel, nobility is, is, sprink, uh, is speaking of, uh, of strength that is there. Actually, when I was looking up uh, the Hebrew word that is used there, it actually has a connotation to like military, to like an army kind of strength. And so Solomon is now writing out uh, the strength, uh, about the strength of, um, of a wife or of a mother here. And, and uh, he's giving us a depiction of, uh, of what he has seen as strength in, uh, in, in a woman or in a wife. And so it says here in verse 10, a wife of noble character. And I always, let me just preface before I get going. I, I always want the women, the, especially the mothers to be uh, on, a, on a, especially on a day like this, to be in here in Bible study, uh, to hear the word of encouragement. But I also wish that the room was filled with, uh, with husbands um, or future husbands as well. Uh, so hopefully uh, as this message gets out online, that, uh, that will have a number of people, or hopefully there's some people who are watching this morning, uh, men who are hearing this, because verse 10, Solomon starts out, and I remember Solomon's the, the wisest uh, man, the, the wealthiest man of all time, and it says, a wife of noble character, who can find that? The reality is, if you can find a woman of noble character, he's saying she's going to be, uh, she, is, she is worth far more, look at what he says there, verse 10, a woman like that who has this kind of character that he's getting ready to list out, she is uh, worth far more than rubies. Her value far exceeds anything that you could possibly give her. Now, for the men who are in here and uh, men who will see this message, this does not mean that you have an out to not ever having to buy her any jewelry and saying, I would not want to degrade the greatness of who you are with some simple jewelry and, and precious stones um, because you're, you're worth far more than any of that because jewelry helps. So you guys, you guys know that. So uh, just continue on. Just continue on in your good ways and, and your wife will teach you uh, how to do what to do and, and so forth. So just listen to her. She'll communicate uh, what she wants. But she's worth far more than rubies. It's important for us to understand the value of a woman who loves the Lord is, is more precious than anything else that we can think of uh, here in the world. Not more precious than Jesus Christ, but anything else that's in this world. She is more valuable. A woman who fears the Lord and loves the Lord. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. I like that phrase about the woman uh, of noble character. Uh, her husband completely trusts her. And let me say, uh, I talk to a lot of guys being in the construction field. I talk to a lot of men that, that they can't trust uh, their wives. I, I know I've known a lot of guys for a long time that just simply cannot trust their wives, not necessarily in regards to uh, uh, keeping the marriage bed pure, infidelity or anything like that. But just in regards, he does, I know a lot of guys who they're just always in fear of what their wife is out there spending, um, purchasing, accumulating and so forth. And I think, man, that's such a horrible, such a horrible way to live. Her husband, the wife of noble character, has full confidence. And I, I like that, guys. 
I like that where we can simply just step back, we can step back from it and say, you know what, I trust this woman. And that's the type of woman that, that uh, for men who will be married in the future, that's a type of woman that you're looking for. Somebody that you have full confidence, you're not worried about her integrity, you're not worried about her value system, you know who she is, you know what she stands on, and because of that you can be at peace with your wife. She brings him good and not harm. That's a great quality to, to have in a wife, isn't it? Um, because you sleep. And uh, we're going to find out that she doesn't sleep a whole lot. So uh, just remember that, Brad. Oh, she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Meaning that it's what she desires to do. She selects wool and flax, works with eager hands. And she is like the merchant ship. She brings, uh, bringing her food from afar, meaning that she's willing to go the distance, whatever it takes uh, to provide for her family. Uh, she gets up, verse 15, she gets up while it is still dark. She provides for her family. She's an early riser. She's going to be a, a late, early to rise, late to bed. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 15. She gets up while it is still dark and she provides for her family and portions for her servant girls. I mean, she's taking care of everybody who's under her roof. She considers a fields and buy it. She's a pretty good financial manager. She can look at something and say, that's a good deal. Let's go ahead and move forward in there. Um, a, man should not, a man should not think that it is just solely his responsibility to take charge of the financial destiny of the household. It's a, you're kind of like a, uh, you're a partnership in an all of a, uh, in and all, uh, through all of that, um, and it's always good to get the wisdom of your wife, or if your wife says, hey, I wonder if we should move in this direction. If you already trust her, she's probably bringing some good wisdom into the situation. She considers the field. She buys it out of her earnings. She then plants a vineyard. So she's continually trying to better her family, to take care of her family, her husband, herself. Verse 17, she sets about her work. How? vigorously. Yeah. She's, anybody have another translation there? With strength. She's, she is the hard worker. She's the person who's saying, there's a task. I'm going to task it. I'm going to get it done. And her arms are strong for her tasks. Now, this does not mean uh, that she goes to the workout center um, uh, seven days a week. Uh, just this means that she has the strength to do the task and she goes about it uh, with strength or with vigor. She sees that her trading is profitable, meaning that it's a good deal. It's a good deal for the other person, and it's a good deal for her. She's not trying to take advantage of anybody else, but she's going to return a profit. And I like this, uh, and her lamp does not go out at night. So she's up early in the morning while it's dark. Still, uh, through the night, she's still about the business of taking care um, of her household. Her lamp does not go out at night. Uh, in her hand, she holds the staff and grasps the spindle uh, with her fingers, and she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy, meaning this, <clears throat> she is not just solely concerned with her household. She looks beyond her household and what she has to be able to help the needs of truly needy people who are around her, the poor and the needy. Shows a great heart there, doesn't it? Not just for herself, not just for her family, but she extends out to those who are those outside of her roof. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are uh, clothed in scarlet. Another translation, anybody have another translation of clothed in scarlet there? Uh, the Hebrew word also means double clothes. 
So uh, it could very well mean that when it snows, she's not worried about her children and her husband because they have a couple layers of clothing on whenever they go outside. They're double clothed. Um, she makes coverings for her bed. Uh, she is clothed in fine linen and purple. She's taking care of herself. She's taking care of her marriage bed. She's making that a pleasant area to be. By the way, just with that being said, um, in our marriage counseling and stuff, premarital counseling that we do, we always encourage people that if you can get your bedroom to be a place where maybe you have a dresser and a bed and a nightstand, um, that that would be that that would if you could just keep it as simple as possible and keep your bedroom um, from being filled with a lot of other things that could distract. Uh, try not to necessarily make the bedroom just the hangout place and so forth, uh, but make the bedroom place establish that in your family. Of, of this is this is mom and dad's place, um, and uh, and uh, you you may feel differently about it, but uh, that should be a very special place. And I think that that's a good thing to teach your children um, that that room is a very special place for mom and dad and uh, and to key try to keep that place clutter free we encourage people rule number one keep keep what out of the bedroom yeah if you don't keep tv out of your bedroom uh sex will be out of your bedroom that will replace it sooner or later and let me tell you uh jimmy fallon he's never mind um it's not really a whole lot of value in all of that, but uh, uh, media and all that, there's just not a value. You will find that it will be to, it'll be to the benefit of your relationship, uh, not only physically, um, but also uh, communicating and talking and so forth. Um, if the TV's off, that at least opens up the doorway um, for some extended communication. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, verse 23, um, and this is good news for, for guys who have a wife like this. Her husband is respected at the city gate. Now, why is he respected at the city gate? Because of her. Isn't that cool? He's respected not because, you know, he does well financially or because, um, because he's dressed real well or because he's, uh, he makes great uh, uh, decisions for the city. But at the city gate, um, he is respected because of his wife. His wife is a solid woman. Um, if you know of somebody uh, who is a... Uh, women who uh, typically gossip and so forth. They're, you may say, well, hey, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of okay to hang out with, but you really you lose respect for people like that. You respect for somebody who's, who's not the, the diligent worker, the hard worker, and so forth. Um, and uh, her husband then is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now, this is kind of interesting because it's kind of a, a, kind of a, kind of a cool picture where what this is saying is that her husband, he's respected at the city gate, and this is where business for the city. So her husband has leadership opportunity in the city, partly uh, because of who his wife is and her support and her supporting of him. And I'm not saying that she's less than him, but um, they always say that behind every, great, behind every good man is what? Is a great woman, and I'm going to add something to that. We're going to get it here in just a few minutes. Um, So he is there at the city gate, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Or, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. Her husband, verse 23, is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Meaning, this he's freed up mentally to do the tasks that that he's called to do in the land. He has a lot of responsibility as far as uh, he has the oversight. And remember. 
that um, the way that the way that God has set up the family is that uh, men are kind of the umbrella over the family, not to lord over women, not to control them. As a matter of fact, who's running the primary finances here in this in this chapter? Yeah, the women have made great decisions. Uh, the woman is making great decisions here for herself, for her family, for her husband. And when she makes decisions, she takes all of that into consideration and, uh, and it frees up the man uh, for the responsibility that he's been given. But understand this. Although the woman has great responsibility and is taking uh, really kind of some leadership roles, you know, uh, in this household here, we should understand that when it all comes down to it, that who still ultimately takes the responsibility for the decisions of the family. The husband does, the, the man and the, the man does. So the wife always wants, so this woman here, she is wanting to do the best for her family because it makes her husband, uh, it makes him highly esteemed in the community. Um, it goes on to say this, she makes linen gar- uh, garments, verse 24, and she sells them and supplies the merchants uh, with sashes. So she's also there uh, weaving and, and knitting and, and making all of that. She's making the clothing for her family. She's making the, the bed uh, coverings and so forth, the linen garments now. She's going to market and sell it. And I'm not saying that that's that you guys all need to go get spindles and sewing machines. But the point of it is she's looking, she's, she's busy about the task of taking care of her family, of her husband, of her household and so forth. And so uh, she, is, uh, she is financially, has great financial responsibility and leadership uh, within the family. Uh, here's a great verse that uh, Angela and I um, were just talking about early this week. She, uh, the lady that she has been carpooling with, her high school English teacher, uh, is retiring this year after 19 years, and, and Angela got her a box and had verse 26. Huh? Oh, sorry. Got her a silver music box. Um, and, uh, and inscribed on it is, uh, on the top of it is, uh, is 30, is, uh, 3126. And, uh, and this woman that Solomon is describing here, uh, she speaks with wisdom. Okay. Verse 25. She is clothed. My fingers right here on 26. So I keep wanting to go back to it. I drop down to it. Verse 25. Uh, she is clothed with strength and dignity. Now, guys, let me say that he's not talking about it's, it's the high fashion that she can wear, that she can look good and great in public. It's that people look beyond what she looks like and they notice the character, the integrity that she has when they look at how she, um, how she is serving her Lord how she is serving her husband, and how she is serving her family. And, uh, and so she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. I mean, there may be some hard times uh, coming around, um, but, but she can continue through that. Verse 26 now, she speaks with what? Wisdom. Now, Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? is the beginning of wisdom. So a so woman or a wife of noble character, she's going to be somebody who first understands her relationship to her God. And because of that, and because her relationship with her God, she'll be, she can be filled, she can be filled uh, with wisdom. Uh, scripture says, if anybody lasts, uh, lacks wisdom, what should we do? We should ask for it. So she's a woman who's asking, who's asking her Lord, her Savior, her God, um, how do I do this? 
because I'm going to say that most women who step into marriage have no idea how to do marriage, and, and we have all proven that to be true, right? We, we just don't know how to do marriage, and then we're stuck in marriage. It's kind of like parenting the first time. You get into parenting, you just really don't, you, you know kind of the ABCs, but you just really don't know about it, and that's why by the time you get to the second and third one, that's why the first one you're taking a lot of pictures and videotaping because you're like, we don't know what we're doing. Look at this, first bath kind of a deal, and then by the second, the third, or the fourth one, you don't even pull the old uh, video camera off the shelf anymore. Um, She speaks with wisdom and faithful, and I like this, faithful instruction is where? Yeah. It means this, when she speaks to her children, when she speaks to her husband, she's speaking with wisdom and solid instruction. And I tell men, if you have a wife that you trust, Listen to what she says. When you say, I think, uh, I think we ought to go do this. Listen to your wife to see what faithful instruction and wisdom she has there. She has great words of kindness as well. She's a faithful instructor uh, to her children, to her husband. She watches over the affairs of her household, and she does not eat the bread of what? Idleness. Meaning she's not looking, she's, she's, she's dissatisfied if, if, she's not, if, if she's not pursuing something for, uh, for her family, her relationship with her Heavenly Father. Uh, she understands that there's always something um, that can be done to, that can better the quality of life within her family. And, and so she's active doing that. Now, that, that does not mean, that does not mean uh, to never take a break because breaks are needed. Uh, time is needed alone first with God. Time is needed alone uh, secondly with your husband, then your children, then the household after that. And that really should be the mode of operation there. Um, your God, uh, your husband, uh, your children, and then, uh, and then your household. And if it's outside of that order, um, things are going to be skewed up. If you put your, your children first or your household first, God's going to have to be displaced somewhere else, either number two, three, or four. And that's the wrong place to have God. When he's at the top, all of that, everything can find... Um, Everything can find um, its right place there. The bread of idleness is just, is, is just kind of speaking about just the laziness um, that can come in. Uh, she doesn't eat that. Uh, she's not just hanging around with other people just to hang around and so forth. Um, there's work to be done. There's the affairs of her household. And I think that that's a, that's a great thing. And, and I, I feel less equipped to teach this than, uh, than for some of you wait, women to teach this to some other women, some other girls um, in the future about she watches over the affairs of her household and understand what it means to have a household in this world. To understand, I go in a lot of different homes, and, uh, and you can tell that the affairs of the household, that they're, they're just completely skewed. Uh, it's just running and going. Things are out of disarray and so forth. Um, but it's a, it's a tremendous responsibility and a great thing uh, to be known as one who's, who is uh, adequately and properly taking care of the affairs of her household. It's interesting, kind of very convicting as a man, as I read through this chapter here, 
because as you read through this chapter, uh, the guy is off doing business for the city, and it's like the woman's list is like this, and the guy's list is like that. And I think that there's good reason for that, um, because men are very limited. Oftentimes, you know, we're, we're really good at focusing on a specific task, uh, and, and women kind of just see the whole picture there. They see the whole painting, and then they can go and they can kind of attack it there. Um, but really, it talks about uh, this woman here. She She's just, I mean, she's just phenomenal, isn't she? And I mean, you know, as, as a woman sitting out here, you're probably thinking, well, gosh, you know, I, who can be like this woman? And that's what Solomon's saying. You know, uh, who can find somebody like this? She is of just tremendous value. We're going to get to, we're going to get, I'm going to finish that idea here in just a second as you're looking at this and maybe comparing yourself to this and saying, boy, I fall short. Her children arise and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he what? He praises her. Now, men, this is a message for you. It says this, her children call her blessed. Her husband, what does he do? Praises her. I believe this to be, uh, as I said earlier, uh, we often hear it said that behind every good man is a, is a better or a greater woman. And, and, I, I, and I accept that. I, I believe that. I, I've, seen that to be, I've seen that to be true. Matter of fact, a statement that came out, um, uh, that came out recently uh, or that I was thinking about was, uh, you know, men should really think, husbands should really think, what would I be without my wife? Where would I be in life today without the woman who is right here with me or the woman that, uh, you know, maybe if she passed away or anything like that, where, where would I be today without her? Because for a lot of us, um, our women, and, and not displacing Christ in any way, uh, but our wives kind of came, came into our lives, and they were kind of almost like a boundary stone in a sense, or, or kind of like an anchor for us, uh, that, you know, we were just kind of flailing about like a ship on the seas without a rudder and so forth, and then the wife came along, and, uh, and, and we started to grow and mature, and we started to understand what our responsibilities were. And just think about that. What would you be without your wife today? So this is what I always say. If you have a wife like that, if you have a wife that you can trust, if you have a wife that she is, she is good with finances, she understands, she has a little, she has some business sense to her, she understands taking care of her family, also looking for the needs of the needy and so forth around her. She has a giving and generous heart. She's taking care of the family. If you just have one of these women here that's in, uh, that's in chapter 31, whatever she wants, if you can trust her, Whatever she asks for, you give it to her. No questions asked. If it's a woman that you can trust, if she says, I want this, go for it. You can have it. Because if she's a woman who can be trusted, she's a woman who's, and she's a woman who's seeking her God, and that is where she's getting her priority from. What she is asking for, and seldom will she ask for anything, which is really cool. But you know that there's no problem. Whatever she asks for, let her have it. Keep her happy because she is more valuable than what? Yeah, she is more valuable than rubies. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman, and I love this right here, who fears the Lord is to be praised. Men, you should probably highlight that right there. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised because a woman who fears the Lord is right with her God. 
Remember, Scripture tells us, we said it just a while ago, um, that the fear of the Lord is what? Is the beginning of wisdom. And a woman who honors her God first is to be what? She is to be praised. Look back up at verse 28. I I need to touch on this again. Her husband, her children will call her blessed. Her husband will what? Will praise her. Now, catch this. I believe that men can do one of two things for their wives, for their wife. Behind every good man, we say, is a greater woman. But oftentimes, in order for that woman to become great, she has to have that stability of her husband even behind her, lifting her up and encouraging her. I believe a husband has two routes that he takes with his wife. He either chains her up or he sets her free. And a husband can chain up his wife, become overlording, become dominant, becoming, uh, the, because he's the stronger vessel, uh, forcing his wife to conform to what he thinks she needs to be. He can either do that or he can set her free to be the kind of woman that God can create her to be, which is this Proverbs 31 woman where she understands she first honors her God and her Lord with everything that she does, and he empowers her to be the kind of woman that is seen here that Solomon is talking about, that Solomon is actually talking about his mother. It's his Mother's Day gift to her, and he praises her. Guys, what we need to do for our wives, any smart man will encourage his wife. I tell in premarital counseling and even postmarital counseling, I tell guys all the time, Help your wife be successful in what she desires to do. Help her be successful in everything she does. Let me, let me, ref- let me, let me, we'll strike that first one. Help your wife be successful in everything she does. Does she run the household? You help her. If she's taking care of the food and the cooking and the clothing and the cleaning and, and all of that, you help her her be successful that if you have a wife if you're blessed for your wife to stay home take care of the house you help her be successful at taking care of that home because it is much more work to take care of a home than it is to go outside and work somewhere else my personal belief there's a there's it, it never stops there it just keeps going so our responsibility as men is to find what our wives are trying to be successful in to help be a stepping stone to them rather than a what? Yeah, they need the encouragement. And what I, what I tell guys, how does that practically apply? Help your wife be freed up to spend time with the Lord. Help your wife be freed up to where she's not always having to, you know, to, to pour out, to pour out, to pour out, where she can have that little bit of a break there. Help her be successful in what she desires to succeed in. Many women do noble things, verse 29, you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. If you have a wife, praise her as she, as she has the fear of the Lord, meaning this, that she's not like, ah, it's God. No, it's a woman who understands who God is. She's glorifying him because he's God, she's not. She knows that she is the creation. He's the creator, that he has put her, his spirit into her, and that is now what guides her life. That is how you can be, that is how you can have confidence to listen to her as God's spirit is speaking in and through her and praise her that God is working in and through her life. In verse 31, we kind of touched on this previously. 
Give her the what? Reward that she has what? Earned. Give it to her. Give it to her. And let her works bring her praise at the city gates. I tell you what, a woman who fears the Lord, a woman that a husband can have confidence in her, she's somebody that can be praised. It's absolutely amazing. Give her the reward she has earned, men, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now, I've been talking a lot about husbands and wives, men and women and so forth, but let's look at this for a moment at our mothers. You know, I was thinking, uh, I was kind of thinking through this this morning, uh, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll tell you how I first said it out loud, and then I thought, well, that's kind of funny. Uh, you'd never want to do that. It's almost like it's the responsibility of the previous generation to have irritating things about your personality that just bugs the next generation under you, right? So, you know, you probably, and, and I don't know, this, this very well may not be true, but there may be things about your mother that kind of irritates you. I, I don't know if that falls into line, probably not with the high quality caliber of, of Christian, of Christ-like believers um, in, in this room here. And, and you know what? You're going to have some things about your personality. Oh, if we just had a, a back camera here and pan the room, pan the hundreds of people to see the faces. Um, uh, and there are going to be things, and you know what? If you talk to your mom, you're going to find that there are things about her mom. Or if you talk to your dad and say, Dad, tell me, are there things about your mom, about grandma that's irritating to you? And what will he say? Absolutely. And you know what? When you have children, if you have children, your children grow up, you know what they're going to find? That there's things that are very irritating about you. And then, although you're going to really struggle, you're going to say, well, someday you're going to grow up and you're going to have the same issues with your kids. And is it going to happen? Yeah, there are going to be things just like you. There are going to be things about, about Rowan and Liam and Hannah and so forth. Believe it or not, as they get older and they have kids, wouldn't that be so cool to see? There's going to be things about them that they bug their children about. It's, just a, it's almost like the rite of passage. It's not really, but it's just how it plays out, isn't it? And so we have to dig a little bit deeper past those things, don't we? We have to look... And as I know the mothers here, I, I, I know most of your mothers. And I thought, and I know my mother. You have to scrape the moss off. Because sometimes that's all that we're willing to see, is just the moss. And we have to look behind what, they, what they're doing. We have to look past that. And we have to look at the reason why they're doing it. Honestly, even the things that bug us about our mothers or our fathers, is it really done with enmity or, or to, to hurt or to strike us down or to cause us pain? And the answer is what? No, it's just they're weird like that. That's what they are. We are the sum total oftentimes of our previous decisions in life. And that makes us what we are today. And we have to understand that as you go through this list, I, I know a lot of your guys' parents. And I know every single parent that's represented um, in here and even, even uh, some that have older children and so forth. All the women that I see, the mothers that I see represented, they're all hard workers. 
I see that about your parents. They're hard workers, right? I mean, is that, is that not something right there that can be said? You know, wow, as I look at the list here, yeah, my mom, although maybe she irritates me a little bit, she does some funky things, and her mom did it to her, and I'll do it to my kids. Is she worthy to be praised? When you look past the moss, and you start looking at this and saying, you know what? But the character and nature of who she is, her personality, quirky, her nature, man, even more so if she's one who loves the Lord. And a woman who loves the Lord should be what? Yeah. Solomon's writing this. He's writing about mom. This is Mother's Day message. Now, you may well know who Solomon's mom was. Who was Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. We all know what she's famous, Right? seeing David. David's up on his rooftop. And a lot of commentators are actually at the point where they think that she is as much to blame as David is because she, here she was openly exposing herself in the day when she knew that people could be out looking down upon her. And a lot of commentators say that. I'm, I'm not putting all the blame there. But nonetheless, we know the story. He calls her into, into his kingdom, into his, uh, into his palace, uh, he sleeps with her. He then murders her husband. She becomes impregnated during that time, or, or during the time whenever he sleeps with her the first time. Uh, they lose that. The child is born, and the child dies. God takes that child. She becomes pregnant again. She's going to have, she's going to have a son. His name is going to be Solomon. She's going to have a few other kids, but Solomon is, is, is down the line here. And although he's not the oldest, he's going to be the one that God is going to allow to sit on the throne. There's that whole idea again of, of the younger, of God not saying just because you're the oldest, you have the right to, uh, to take and, and so forth. But the younger uh, supersedes the older. And so Solomon comes into power. He's becoming, he's a, he's a king, but before all that, mom is talking to him. Now, when we look at, when we think of Bathsheba, do we often think of her as a person with noble character? No, we think of her as a person with questionable character. But here's the deal. Did she make mistakes? Did she and David repent of their sin? And did God forgive? Yes. We'll see her in heaven going to be able to have this conversation with her. Here's another question. Have you as a mother <laughs> or just as a woman or even as a guy in all of this, have you sinned? Honestly, if your whole life, if you were put on trial and your whole life was exposed, would your character be in question? If you put it up to these standards, the answer would be, yeah, if everything about my life were to be exposed, would my character be in question? The good news is this. Solomon found a point in his life where he was able to write this about his mom. She had already passed away by the time that he had written this. But chapter 31, verse 1. It says, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Now, there's a lot of controversy about who King Lemuel is. 
I find that the majority of commentators lean towards that this was her, this was Bathsheba's kind of pet name for her son Solomon, who one day would be king. By the way, do you know that whenever Solomon was born, God said, uh, they said, hey, we're going to name him Solomon. Do you know that God gave him a different name? It's the only time it appears in scripture, and it's Jedediah. Beloved of God. Same thing with Lemuel, right? Here's E-L in there. It's talking about anytime that you see that E-L in a name, it's talking, it's something, something of God. And so many commentators, I think that the majority of commentators lean on the side that uh, this King Lemuel is speaking of Solomon. As a matter of fact, when we get into Ecclesiastes, Solomon never names himself, but he does call himself teacher, uh, I think seven or nine times. So I personally believe that this is that this is Solomon and he's writing this. He's talking about what his mother taught him, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Did Bathsheba have some things to teach her son? Now, as we go through this, see if these are things that Bathsheba might be saying, hey, son, watch out for this and see if maybe she had the right to be talking to him like this. Just listen and see if you hear Bathsheba in this. Oh, my son. O son of my womb, verse 2, O son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women. (laughs) The guy goes off and has how many wives? A thousand wives and concubines. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Does Bathsheba know that she hurt David's kingship and his kingdom? As a matter of fact, his kingdom was never the same after that point that he and Bathsheba got together. We're going to find that essentially because of all this, the kingdom is going to split into two kingdoms. Israel's going to split into, uh, into a northern and a southern kingdom. So the first thing she says is this, son, don't chase women. Second thing she tells him, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Now, uh, I was thinking that um, a great place for uh, Tiffany to go after Proverbs would be what book? Right after? Yeah, Ecclesiastes. Because what you would find in Ecclesiastes, you would find that Solomon set his heart after he, he tried to find the, great, the greatness of satisfying the flesh, anything that was of pleasure. What we're going to find as Tiffany goes through that study in Ecclesiastes, uh, we're going to find that there in his kingdom, in, in his palace, the wine always flowed. There was always, it's almost like he kind of had the dispenser there. There was always the party. He loved, he was the original party animal. He loved the wine. He loved the women. And here is his wife teaching him, no doubt uh, before he's of age to really, you know, in, uh, sorry, his, his mom, what did I say? Oh, his mom here is telling him, essentially, hey, stay away from chasing women. Watch out for the alcohol. She says this, I like it. It's not for kings. It's not for rulers. Alcohol's not for leaders because it's simply, she's telling him, it dulls your senses. You don't see 100% under the influence. So she tells him, as a king, stay away from that because you'll become a bad ruler. And what we find about Solomon is he likes the wine and he likes the women. 
Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So kind of use it medicinally, you know, in a sense where, where, you know, hey, let them forget their hard labor that day and go on to the next day. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So she's saying, dear son, did I say something funny? Okay. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And she's saying this as a king. Take note of this. She's saying, son, take care of your subjects. Don't be a harsh taskmaster. Speak up for the poor, the destitute, the needy. Take care of all of those. Speak up and judge fairly, my son. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And she's saying, be a good king. Don't be consumed with your drinking and with your following after women because through all of that, you're going to lose perspective. You're going to start treating your subjects harshly, and that is not a godly king. In Bathsheba's lifetime, she saw her son become a womanizer, become one who loved nothing more than fine drink, and he was somebody who greatly oppressed his people. After Solomon's death, you know why he was the wealthiest man in the world? Taxation. He taxed his people to death. That's why when Solomon dies, you can go read about it. When Solomon dies, the first thing the people ask for is they say, we can't survive any longer under this harsh taxation that Solomon had put into place. Please, please free us from this taxation. Isn't it funny we think he was such a great ruler, right? He was the wealthiest man in the world. He was taxing the people to death. These are the three things that his mom asked him not to do. Isn't that interesting? Now, she died seeing her son having a thousand wives, loving the drink, and not really taking care of the needy. Do you think that she felt a little rejected? Like her words were not valued by her son? Do you think that's true? Yeah. She went to her grave thinking, what a shame. My son would not listen to me. After all, does she not have personal experience in some of this area and, and grow up there, raise him in the palace and so forth to see, see the difficulties that could come? And no doubt she was a woman that when she died, she saw her son failing in the areas that she had so encouraged him not to. It'd be hard, wouldn't it, as a mother to see that in your children? Here's the good news. You guys want some good news? <clears throat> The good news, Solomon writes this after her death. It begins there in verse 10. You see what is so cool that he writes the first nine verses and he's saying, this is what my mom taught me not to do. And what did I do? I went completely opposite the other way to an extreme that no other man has ever gone before. I'm even going to write about my exploits in the book of Ecclesiastes and hopefully Tiffany will just follow into that and teach us through that. But he begins in verse 10. Hear this, guys. He begins in verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And he begins to write about his mother. What a valuable, indispensable woman that she is. He did not understand the wisdom that she was speaking to him. She did not understand her workings in the kingdom and so forth alongside uh, his father, David. He did not understand all that she was doing and all that she was involved in and so forth. 
when, when he began as a ruler, but later on in his life, wisdom, right? It started to make sense. And he could say, my mom was what? Right. And he could sit down and he can write this and he can say, this is what she taught me. I was a fool. It says that Solomon's demise was his wives because they taught him he prostituted himself to foreign gods, to their foreign gods. And he gave his heart in another direction to serve and worship false gods. And his mom was warning him, don't do it, son. Don't do it. Don't do it. He pursued it. Had some great difficulty here. And then what we find is at the end of his life, he could write kind of his swan song was, my mama was right after all of these years. Guys, there's things that in our lives, as I started this out saying that there are some peculiar things about our mother's personalities that just bug us, irk us. It's, it's almost like the, the nails on the chalkboard kind of sound. It's like the sound my truck window makes. Some of you guys heard it when I roll it down just a quarter inch. There's things that we look at and we say, it's just ridiculous. But 30, 40 years down the road, somebody's going to be saying that about us. And we're going to be looking back at our mothers and we're going to be saying, it wasn't quite so ridiculous after all. Because we scraped the moss off after that time and we looked beyond and we looked into and we looked at the heart of the person. And Solomon, after his mom dies, he, he wrote this. And he said, the heart of my mom was solid gold. It was worth more than anything in this world. Worth far more than rubies. <clears throat> A couple things I want to just close us with. Well, not really closing. That would be a lie. <sighs> For you moms, or one day moms, Don't stop pouring in to your children. And by what I mean by pouring in is speaking life and godliness into them. It's okay to write out a little verse of encouragement and love into the birthday card or the Christmas card or whatever it is. It's okay to to write a little passage of scripture just so that they know who you are in Christ Jesus. And hopefully, when you depart from this world, they will be able to say at your funeral, the word of God never departed from my mother's mouth. It was there till her last breath. I can remember uh, Chuck Smith when he died. It's uh, been uh, coming around to two years ago. Um, his son was in the room. His son was, uh, son was talking at um, the memorial service that he was sitting in the room there. And uh, it was like one or two in the morning. And uh, Chuck hadn't talked to anybody in, uh, in about eight to 10 hours at this time. He was kind of, he was just, you know, he was just kind of, he was alive, but he was kind of gone mentally. And he was just sitting over there in bed and he was just mumbling, mumbling, mumbling. And, uh, and just for hours on end, just, and then all of a sudden with all clarity, he would kind of lean up in bed and he would proclaim the word of God, like verses that he had. He would just shout out the word of God and talk about the grace of God. And then he'd fall back down in bed and just for a few more hours, just blah, blah, blah. And then he'd shoot up in bed and, uh, you know, and, and he would shout out some of the word of God until, until his last breath, the word of God was flowing out of his mouth like a fresh spring. 
may your children say about you, not that, well, my mom liked me, she loved me, she took care of me, she gave me things, but may truly what is said at the day that you depart was that the word of God never departed from my mother's mouth. Moms, don't stop pouring in, even though your children may be going a little bit contrary to what you've taught them to do. As a matter of fact, it was Solomon, if you look over at 22 and 6, and I think maybe this gives us a better understanding of this verse, 22 and 6 of Proverbs, Solomon would say this, and it's the one verse that gives parents more hope than anything else, I believe. Train a child in the way he should go. Did Solomon go in the way that his mom trained him? No, but did she train him in the way that he should go? That's your responsibility. Your responsibility as parents, not to raise godly children, but to be godly parents. You set the example. You set the bar for your own life of life and godliness. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us he has given us everything we need for what? Life and godliness. To walk the walk, to have the life. You live as godly parents. Let that flow over into your children. You do have instruction, but you can't make them Christians, can you? You can't make them followers of God. I mean, you can force them into being religious. But you can't make their heart desire godliness. And so Solomon would write this. You train the child how he should go When he is old, meaning this, he's going to look back and say, mom and dad were right. Maybe as stupid as all get out, but they were right. I can't remember how this goes, but it's, it's about the boy who went away to college for four years, and when he came back, he was surprised at how much his dad had grown in intelligence. Think about that just a little while if you didn't get it. The boy grew up, didn't he? And he's like, wow, I guess my dad's not as dumb as what I thought he was. And we kind of all get a little bit of that. Train the child in the way that they should go. When they are old, they're going to look back and say, but my mom, my dad, they were right about these things. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to end up being perfect. But if you set the standard in your life as godliness, mothers, that gives your children, that establishes that foundation in their life that they may wander from the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years, but they're going to come to the point, God says, my word does not return what? Void, it's there, the seed's there. There's going to be that time when God's word can work and they're gonna come to the point in life and saying, you know what? I've been doing this all my own way and my mama told me that I would try to do this and that I would fail, that I need the Lord in my life. And that's whenever people, old their children can turn to the Lord and say, my parents were right in what they were saying. That's why I think, man, Christian funerals are such a great opportunity to preach to the family, right? Especially as a godly woman or a godly man uh, goes to be with the Lord. Number two, children, take inventory of the good things that's in your mother's life. I mean, we constantly take inventory of the moss, right? Of the junk, Take inventory. That might be a good thing. Maybe that could be your homework, or maybe you can do it right now. Write down what is great about your mom. Maybe look at that Proverbs 31, the, the, the second part there, and write down what is great about your mom in regards to, in, in regards to that chapter there. 
B, to be, and then they need to be praised for it. And I say, this is a pretty convicting message to me. Um, and C, to C, would say this, give her the reward that she has what? Earned. Might she be a little strange? But are there things there that she should be praised for? Reward her. Reward her for the things that she has earned. Remember, without moms, what? None of us would be here. Number three. So how do women become women of noble character? Because you might be looking at this list saying, wow, who can live up to this? I believe right now, if you're here today, it shows your heart already. It shows your heart because right now you could be at a restaurant. There are a lot of people meeting right now at restaurants trying to beat the crowd, doing 11, 15 appointments that are having family time, celebrating Mother's Day, but it's completely apart from the Lord. Now, maybe you got to go to early service, but I'm not including those. But I'm saying that there's a lot of people are celebrating Mother's Day, but God has nothing to do with it. It's not because of the work that God has done in their lives and their love of the Lord. It's just because, hey, you gave birth to me. You're pretty cool like that. I believe that women of noble character, a mother of noble character, it starts here. It's being filled with the word of God. It's coming. It's being involved in the body of believers, allowing the word of God to be poured out into your life. It shows if you're here this morning, it shows that you love the Lord. Matter of fact, if you're here and and most of you guys... Well, let me say it like this. It shows that you love the Lord more than even some other things in your life. And let me say, for those who are out to lunch right now, it shows that the love of their mother is more important than the love of their God. I'm not saying that at church attendance is everything, but I'm saying that it's a great solid thing that you ladies, all the ladies in the room, that you're here, if you're watching, that you're watching, that you're putting that time because it shows noble character in your life today. Amen? Yeah. Number 3B would be this. Notice that nowhere in here it says that there was perfection. Bathsheba was not perfect, right? Matter of fact, isn't that what's, isn't that what's great about the word of God is that we see, we see imperfect women in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. Do you know what else is also a, an amazing characteristic of Scripture? There is not, there's not one passage of Scripture where there is a woman who is demeaning or derogatory to Jesus. There is not one ill-spoken word in all of Scripture coming out of a woman's mouth towards Jesus. Isn't that absolutely amazing? That's really cool. So filled with the, being filled with the Word of God starting here, do you know what? We're not talking perfection. We're talking about the desire of one's heart. Let it start with the Lord and let that permeate whatever, whatever you have been given. Number four, fourthly and finally, husbands help shape who their wives are and who they become. We can either bind them up, lock them up, put them under harsh duty, or we can try to free them up 
And let me say, in our society today, the most important thing for a man to do for, for his wife is to help her be freed up to spend time with the Lord. Because that is, that is the most necessary thing for the family. Let me say, in and through all of this, this is a great chapter. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we get lists of, of, uh, of, of qualities that's needed for men to, to lead in the church and so forth. But we don't have a chapter like this. We don't have a chapter 31 of Proverbs for men. Women, I was thinking through this this morning. I probably should have written this down. Mothers in particular are the most overlooked, mistreated, abused in a sense, underappreciated individual on the earth. There is a, there's the story of the boy who was at school and the teacher was going to teach them about magnets. And the lady said, now students, what am I? My name starts with M and I pick things up. And little Johnny says, you're a mommy. <laughs> there's a lot of reality to that, right? Matter of fact, we may not even have to be the little boy. We could be the grown men and have a little mommy that's still taking care of us. We as men, as husbands, we have, that's awfully distracting, isn't it? Bring some, uh, bring some birdshot next week, Mike. <laughs> we as men, we have a lot to do as far as influencing our wives' relationship with the Lord than how she's going to respond to us and how she's going to respond within the family and in the community. So I want to encourage you guys. You find a way, help your wife to be freed up. Wives, you're already starting the path of noble, uh, of noble character by simply desiring the word of God. It's proof today. Children, take inventory of the good things that's in your mom's life. That's hard, isn't it? Because you're like, oh man, I got to look past the moss. And it's like we come up with one thing and the moss has already grown back over. Like the moss is the word but. (laughs) Well, she's really good at this, but, and then here comes the moss. And it's almost like you might have to scrape it back off again, get a clear picture of the window and say, oh yeah, right there. And then you're writing it down and here comes the moss again. Children, take inventory of the good things of your mother's life. Let her be praised. Give her her reward because she has what? Earned it. And moms, see, I'm going backwards here. I went one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. Moms, don't stop pouring in to your family. There will be reward. You may not receive the reward even here, but your reward, Christ will give you the reward for being the godly mother, the godly wife running a godly household and pouring who he is into your family, your husband, your children, whatever it is that you may have, that God inevitably would be glorified in all of this. So let's just finish up with this this morning. Where's Christ in all of this? You'd hate to go hear a Mother's Day message and just hear, hear, especially at church, hear mothers exalted and then everybody said, okay, well, let's have a good day. Everybody go home. We gave them their strawberries. You have two chocolate-covered strawberries coming your way in a minute. And roses. roses. 
Wouldn't it be a shame if we ended the message just saying, moms, you're just wonderful. Keep it up. So we have to finish with, where's Christ in all of this? He is the factor that is necessary to produce that Proverbs 31 woman. And let me say, that will be produced in the woman, in the mother, who Christ is her Lord. She is the servant of him before she serves anything else or anyone else. And that he is glorified in her life. And that she understands that she can't go the 18 hours a day under her own ability, her own strength. She needs the strength of her Lord to do all that is necessary to do. And where she rests, she rests in him. Although she probably likes some more physical rest. Her rest is in him. And one day her reward will come. Don't quit pouring in. Allow the Lord to pour into you and that it'll overflow out of your life into others. Let's stand. I was going to do something different with prayer and have the moms come up and we'd have people lay hands on the moms and so forth, but we're kind of outnumbered here. No, hang on a second. We have four and four. One, two, three, four. What do we have? Uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, one, two. Yeah, four. Okay, we can find a mom. Find a mom. Lay your hands on her. Right now, find out. You may have to find two moms. Carrie might have to, or, or Carrie and Angela might have to get on either side of Alicia there. Everybody covered here? Okay, let's pray. Let's, let's ask God to bless. And what I'd like for you to do is I pray. I want you to pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray. You can pray silently. I want you to pray that God's blessing would be upon those mothers. Such a tremendous responsibility and opportunity they've been given. Father, so we ask you, to continue to do your great and mighty work in the lives of the mothers. Father, what a great charge and responsibility has been given to them. The work is far beyond what they can do under their own power and their own strength. Father, they need you in a greater degree to do the work that you have called them to do. The special mission, the opportunity to pour into, to shape another's life. Father, I pray for godliness to just sprout all about our mothers' lives, that their children would take note of of the fruit in their mom's life, that they would hear you speaking from their mother's lips. Father, that we would be those that we would look for the good that is in our mom's life, that you would give us the hearts to look beyond the moss, that it could be scraped back, that we could see those endearing qualities, those enduring qualities that we see in all mothers' lives. Sacrifice, love, diligence, and even suffering. So, Father, we know the work that needs to be done can only be accomplished by you. So fill them with your power and your might. This day, renew them again. Give them the understanding that you are for them and that you will fill them. Father, may they open their hearts to a greater degree this morning to be filled up and overflowing 
by your love and your grace to do the work that you've called them to do. And the body says, amen. Thanks, guys.